Hi, everyone. Today I'm joined by James Cusson. James uh, runs the YouTube channel, The Living Philosophy. And I've been super interested and uh, excited about the, the work that he's been putting out over there. He has a fantastic video on metamodernism. Uh, and I, I'll put a link to that in the description and highly recommend uh, that people check that out. But um, also uh, doing some really fascinating video, videos on integral theory. I think you've got uh, a video on the quadrants that's got like 100,000 views. It's, uh, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's really, a really, really yeah, uh, excellent job with all this stuff. But this is also just sort of the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you get into the whole philosophical tradition, uh, you know, uh, Nietzsche, uh, the Kierkegaard, I think is on there, uh, all the way back to Aristotle and, and the, you know, and the academy and everything. So it's, it's all in there, um, continentalist analytic uh, philosophy. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to um, touch base with you because you're clearly a very uh, brilliant mind and uh, interested in metamodernism. <laughs> and I, no, it's true That's though. Right. I mean, you, you do a great job really uh, articulating these really complex ideas and distilling them and, and, and communicating yeah. them. So, uh, and the communication factor is also, you know, really key. And I'll touch on some of my thoughts about that maybe in the course of the conversation. But um, yeah, uh, I just, I see you as someone really engaging really intelligently with this metamodern space and uh, wanted to uh, touch base and maybe, um, you know, get the word out about your channel and, and, and just you as a, as a thinker. Uh, so sure, I really anyway, appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So thank you very much for, uh, for being on here. Well, it's an, it's an absolute, it's an honor. Um, I've been watching a few of your episodes over the last couple of days and yeah, just like the quality of 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 like interaction that I'm just like, oh, this is this is amazing. This is, this is really really great stuff. So it's uh yeah, it's an absolute privilege. Cool. Well, thank you very much. A segue into uh, into getting into the the meat of the ideas. I, I'm curious. I mean, how did you uh, I don't know start to get into this material, but specifically, I mean, how did you find metamodernism? What attracted you to it? And um, I mean, you've, you've uh, in your metamodernism video, you begin by saying metamodernism might be the most important idea you encounter this year. And you say it's essential mm. for the problems we face today. So, I mean, you're, you're really, um, you know, going, going to bat for this sort of uh, uh, yeah, paradigm. I guess so, so yeah. yeah, I'd be curious to hear what your, um, how you kind of came to all this and, uh, and yeah. Yeah, so with Integral, it's a funny thing. So I was in Australia about, eight years ago and was doing this thing called HelpX where you work for your your food and board and I stayed with this semantics teacher and he just introduced me to like loads of just amazing thinkers I hadn't come across before and it was too many for me to dive into at that point so it was like Brene Brown was Osho there was Ken Wilber and he's quoting from all these different people and I was coming from I just finished like my degree in philosophy so this was a kind of a whole new world for me. Now I'd, I'd been into spirituality before, but just these, these thinkers I'd never really come across. And yeah, so Ken Wilber was on my radar then, but I was just like, oh, he's someone that I'll need to study at a future point. Like I, that's something I'd like to, to study in depth. And then just a couple of years back, I was, I went off, I just hiked the West coast of Ireland, just kind of a, like the lockdown, you're off a leash. And so I just walked, um, from Limerick down just all the peninsulas down to the south of Ireland wow. and then just afterwards I just had this moment in a bookshop secondhand bookshop and there was a brief history of everything and I was just like oh I just read that and I was like oh my god this is this is just absolutely amazing and I'd been coming out of like years of being in a very very youngian place but I had a friend send me Hansi Freinacht 
some Middle Eastern society have been like, you need to, you need to read this. I, I read a little bit, I put it away, and then I think I must have read Ken Wilber and then come back to it and been like, all oh, right, this is like, this is fantastic. So there's just so many nuggets running through it. And just the whole idea of the fact of we're coming into a meta-modern time, it's, it's just so many things just clicked for me with the meta-modern idea that I was like, this is, this is incredible. Like, and as well, the, there's so much like hatred towards postmodernism. And it was something in the integral and especially in metamodernism in the listening society of let's integrate this as part of the journey forward rather right. than pitting one side against the other. And so it's, it's this just digesting more and more traditions and being like, okay, it's, let's not just run into polarities that are drifting further apart, but let's try and learn more and more from like, uh, what's that, that, that Wilbur line about nobody's, nobody's smart enough to be wrong all the time, is it? <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that's that's like mm. brilliant, and it's just that that idea of just taking curiosity rather than certainty, and yeah, so that that was just an attitude that really resonated with me, and that I've I've always kind of been drawn towards, and then with meta modernism, that thing of like, well, let's be curious, what can we do with this, and and even the whole thing of like, we're we're creating models, but we're holding them lightly. It's it's the thing of like, we need to try. And we know we're going to fail, but we need to try. And I was just like, well, this is, mm. this is what we need now because it's so hard. Like coming through the Jungian thing, it was a lot of like thinking about new religions and thinking about the time that we live in as being kind of a pivotal time in the same way that we'll say the time of the ancient Greek philosophers would have been, that the old religion had lost its grip on the psyche. And so there's this interim phase because I always think it's going to be an interim phase of like atheism or of a kind of agnosticism before the new religions are born, mm -hmm. before the, mm -hmm. the, the gods reawaken or mm -hmm. people become recognizant of the gods. Mm -hmm. So thinking of this time that we live in as that and then metamodernism kind of in, well, let's let's explore that and let's see, let's see, try and create things and then see what sticks kind of thing. So yeah. there's just so there's so much in it that resonated for me that can yeah. help but be intoxicated by it. Well, there's so much there that that I'd actually really like to get into. That that I want to come back to that that idea of sort of this lull, this this you know liminal period of atheism or agnosticism before the gods reawaken. That is very interesting to me, and mm. I, I'd like to hear you could maybe link some yeah. of that to the philosophical uh, history. Considering the philosophical tradition, do you think that these ideas are going to be part of the you know, sort of the history of, 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 you know, Western philosophy going forward. It's a great conversation. Or are they yeah. more tangential or, or how, how do you fit them into the, that sort of narrative? That's a really good question. How would they fit in? Cause it's, it's, yeah, I have difficulty with that question. Cause it's now it's very hard. And I don't know whether this is a thing of like, you know, it's, it's easy to pick out the skyscrapers when you're, you know, hundred miles that's or twenty miles outside of a city, but when you're downtown, mm -hmm. it's very hard. So, like mm -hmm. being within the time period, it's very hard for me. Like you can see, the Zizek is going to be remembered, but is it going to be as a significant contribution? Chomsky is definitely going to be there as, as a significant contribution, but yeah, it's, I I don't know. I, I and I, I is it possible to know within a time? Yeah, I. I because the thing, thing, and as this is part of my own ignorance, is that like I'm not that up to date with what's going on in philosophy now, if that makes sense. Like, like I, I'm still trying to catch up with everything, like with all these other models and ideas that I feel yeah. like, okay, if you're going to read Foucault, you got to read 
you know, you got to understand phenomenology, you got to understand existentialism, you got to understand Nietzsche. If you're going to understand mm-hmm. Nietzsche, you're probably going to want to read Schopenhauer. And if you want to read Schopenhauer, well, you got to read, yeah. you know, you want yeah. to know what's going on with Hegel, but really you got to know Kant. If you want to know Kant, you got to know, Sh- and it just goes onwards sure. and onwards. Right. So it's, it's just uh, like, just drowning in information there's so much to know that i'm like well Well, where do you even start one of the questions i have too about this is you know it it sort of relates to how does this relate to uh the field of say like academic philosophy because i'm of the of the view that um and i have i have some friends doing phds in philosophy and i've i've you know i in fact i almost went that route myself briefly um and so I'm a little bit aware of, of some of the stuff that's kind of happening in that space, uh, but none of it is exciting and, and, and as compelling to me as like these ideas, which I see as happening generally outside of academia. And I find that mm. an interesting dynamic as well um, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I, but even as I say that, I'm thinking, well, have academic philosophers, to what degree have they necessarily been the ones you know, uh, carrying that torch or, or, you know, moving things. Yeah, I mean, Nietzsche was completely outside that tradition, right? Right. Schopenhauer, as far as I know, was was outside that tradition. Kant kind of nestled himself within it. Um, So, yeah, I don't know to what extent those thinkers now, the the French postmodern philosophers, obviously, they were, and the the Frankfurt School are obviously very much academic thinkers. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, so when I went to study philosophy, like, it was in an analytic school. So are you aware of the analytic continental? So it was in an analytic uh, university in Scotland. And I was just like, this, what, what is this? <laughs> like, this isn't, I'd been reading Camus. I've been reading Nietzsche. You know, I was, I was all about like, so Nietzsche has this line that to the philosopher, nothing is impersonal. Whereas to the scientist, there's this little box called the will to truth. And it doesn't matter where in the, the field of knowledge that they put it. It's just, that's the thing. And it takes away. Whereas to the philosopher, nothing is impersonal. And then I got to university and I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. I like, like I just felt I felt very much out of place mm-hmm. and it never grabbed my attention and now I regret that now I wish I'd interacted with it more but definitely I had this this distaste for the impact what I saw as the impracticality the that philosophy was divorced from life in a way that it had just become this intellectual puzzle rather than something that you lived and breathed and yeah, it's it just, I guess I was connected more into like the ancient tradition, but very much Nietzsche is part of that as well. And there are living philosophers that kind of go throughout the, and for young, obviously with psychologists, it, it again becomes imminent. The French, like, I think the continental tradition, I would have felt much more home with because while it's not necessarily like spiritual or working on yourself in a way that I feel like Nietzsche was doing, it's it's very political. It's It's at least engaged in in what's going on out in the world and is trying to create a change out in the world now some of that is questionable right i mean it seems it seems like the choice is sort of between a kind of dry well this is maybe unfair so and i also my my, i have friends in the analytical academic philosophy tradition yeah uh, so i see up close like what they're doing and and they love it and and it's you know i'm not i'm not trying to you know diss the analytic tradition per se but you know in a certain caricatured view, you could kind of say there's a, either the option of kind of a dry analytic, you know, uh, detached sort of, you know, 
almost potentially even illusory oh this is truth and you know or if you're mm. not into that then sort of the continental thing which is just going to be political and kind of very easily kind of falls into this um i don't know kind of uh is prone to maybe some of the darker sides of the you know the the woke elements in societies and kind of feeds into that and it's sort yeah. of like well where in these two options can i do yeah the stuff you know that that is the juicy stuff about all you know <laughs> yeah. so, uh that there, there does seem to be a kind of in my view kind of an unfortunate bifurcation in, in academic philosophy along those routes and yeah so, and it's taken know. me time to try and develop a curiosity with that to be like i know I, i'm now really curious about analytic philosophy and i want to study it more but it's it's more because i feel established enough and i feel like i found my tradition and i, I really feel comfortable with what i am so I'm, I'm more like curious about what they're doing and yeah, I, I think you're right that there there isn't really that that in now psychology kind of hived off a bit of that 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 vein of philosophy, but yeah, it's it's just yeah you're choosing between the the academic and dry or else the the, the highly politicized. But I, I still think I like I've been reading a lot of Foucault and I'm like oh this is this is really good. But I guess it's still more at a cultural level. It's still more it's not necessarily personal transformation. It's although it seems in his later years. And I haven't studied this in depth yet, but he's he's he makes the move towards still. So he's famous for being like he he would map out what was going on with we'll say the prisons, the mental health system, but he didn't tell people how to change it. He was kind of just like observing the system, and they were like, yeah, yeah, but like give us give us a solution, give us something to work with. You're just someone that's criticizing, and you're not doing anything constructive. And it seems like in his last years in the 1980s, he was actually. Movie, he was studying Stoicism and the works of Pierre Hadot, so he's getting much more into, by transforming yourself, that's how you, yeah. rip, by ripple effects, transform the society. But, so it, it seems even there it's moving into that. But didn't he also in his later years kind of take this sort of neoliberal turn? Like, uh, I, I've heard critiques of late Foucault so, as being sort of like, oh yeah, he kind of just became this like uh, individualistic kind of, um, I don't know, Reagan era philosopher or something. So I was, read I was reading a few articles about that because I was like, that's that's a juicy take. Like the, the combination of like Foucault, the Starling of like, of, of the woke left and then neoliberalism, like the... <laughs> the complete antithesis to that and just like how those went together and i i'm curious to find out exactly why but it seems like it was a playfulness it seems like he was kind of like well because neoliberalism was still very young at the time so it wasn't like a mm -hmm. highly it, it wasn't clear what what the downstream effects were going mm -hmm. to be but i think yeah for foucault where he was at philosophically he was kind of like oh well let's play with this and see see how these things go together so yeah i mean i think definitely when the woke left are looking at him they're more looking at the 1970s and his fixation on power and more the the collective internal things that's going on in societies whereas yeah by the 1980s he seems to be moving more into that internal individual and you wonder whether is that to do with his you know his conf confrontation with death hmm. so is that like he's kind of staring down the barrel of this he knows he's going to die and maybe that shifted sure. his philosophy a bit so i I'm curious to I'm curious to study that. Yeah. yeah. Well, just to jump back to that academic issue too, I wanted to point out because this ties in something I mentioned earlier that you know I really feel uh, for good or ill that um, a lot of sort of the introductory uh, material people are going to be getting to philosophy ideas is increasingly going to be coming through YouTube channels like yours. Mm -hmm. You know, people are going to be digesting this stuff not in a in a seminar 
you know, or classroom context, they're going to be getting these 12 or 15 or 20 minute clips on these things, at the very least, at sort of an introductory level to kind of, you know, whet their appetite or, mm. or you know, uh, just kind of, kind of plant the seed. Um, and so again, that's just an element that I keep seeing over and over again, that I feel like hasn't really been taken seriously by by institutional thinking, I guess it makes sense because it's kind of a threat in some ways. But um, and and I say mm. that for yeah, good. It really is for good or ill. But I, but channels like yours, I think, are very much for good, right? Like this is uh, it's an introduction to to these ideas uh, in a very kind of um, yeah helpful and nuanced way. And 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 these are the things that um, yeah I think are are kind of coming down the pike increasingly. And and so the role of the academic philosopher, the role of um, you know, the professor um, or some kind of institutional figure being at the vanguard of, you know, intellectual history, uh, those days seem to be shifting at least, if not uh, something in the rear view mirror. And I, I'm, I'm increasingly kind of wondering how all that's going to pan out. Um, but any, yeah. yeah, the future of academia is, is an interesting, um, like where, where that's going to lead is, is an interesting question. I don't, I don't think that what people like me are doing on YouTube is any threat because it's so it's such a brief skimming and I, I think if anything it's good because it'll give you just a taster of the different traditions the different things that are out there but without like really if you want to go in depth and you want to study these things university academia is still a wonderful place but and as well I don't think I think it will take a long time for them to try and enter this sphere because they're just like it's when you're an entrenched institution there's an inertia you know it's going to take time before you're even the individuals within that might begin to become aware of it but the time between like first of all it's going to take them time to become aware of it and then it's going to take time for the institution to like slowly shift but i mean that's the that's always like the the time for disruption so i guess there's right. god only knows what will happen but i, I don't I, as it is now i don't think that there's any real threat to academia from what we're doing no i i agree and that, the threat wasn't so much that like hey youtube clips about philosophy are going to displace or you know make obsolete <laughs> entire philosophy yeah. departments as much as to say that i think that the sort of material at least that you get to cover outside of an academic context you know like you're not going to enter a, even a philosophy 101 class and, and hear anything about wilbur or hear anything about you no. know uh, yeah. metamodernism for some time i think and i think you're right like there will be i think a readjustment um and it takes time for these things always you know to to kind of find their way into those contexts uh but in the meantime it's sort of like these are the platforms where these things are being really explored and um and i think that in in some way there is a kind of uh classroom element a kind of uh well a kind of digital academy really actually um you know yeah. uh that that is out there that sort of is sort of extra academic uh and yet has its own vigor or rigor and its own um but 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 a lot more openness and a lot more kind of freedom to explore ideas that um you know just uh aren't yeah and the way i'd see it as well is that like i'm not i'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination so I, I feel like it's a journey people are taking with me rather mm -hmm. than a lecturing situation it's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i'm gonna go off and study this topic for a week or a few weeks mm -hmm. and then i'm gonna you know share my findings so it's more like a pioneering mindset of like let's see what's out there and let's see what the big ideas are and let's see what we can what we can discern from them so it's it's more of a yeah i, I see it more of let's take a journey together 
rather than I'm pontificating or I know what's going on because right. yeah and this is I think it's it's an important shift for me because it's it's like that's really fulfilling for me because I'm like I want to learn more about these things and I've always felt like well there's so much to learn and yeah how can you bring people along with that so that you're they're traveling with you on the journey rather than showing up one day and being like, Hey, I've read all the books. I've got all the knowledge. Whereas I'm getting feedback along the way for like, people are challenging, you know, every, every time I'm putting something out or every time I've had an idea, it's people are challenging me. been like, Oh no, you're not seeing it this way. You're, you're forgetting about this thing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's cool. That's interesting. So it's like hypercharging my learning, mm. but it's like a shared and I would like to amplify that in future. I'm still just getting to grips with what I'm doing at the moment, but like, you know, to like long-term, the vision was always to found my own school of philosophy. Like ever since I was 17, 18, beginning to read Camus and then reading like the ancient philosophers, I was like, why do we not have like an academy? Why are people not striving to, to like have these groups of people that are figuring out how to live the best possible life? That just seems like, why do we not have that? Yeah. <laughs> why yeah. are we teaching people like, and not not to not to like again dismiss the value of that but like rather than just giving people content i have a vision for an institution that will it gives you all the skills like from the most basic things of like cooking or online savviness like understanding how technology works don't open the emails if it says it's nelson mandela's widow you know it's, it's like just like basic things but everything from there up to like the, the great ideas and the philosophical tradition and just giving you models, lenses to look through the world, to understand it. And then giving you this education, it's like a basic education in living philosophy. And then whatever you apply yourself to from there will, you know, can be something that you're much more successful at because you've, you're probably much more, you want to be aware of your own psychology of your own psyche and your own barriers and pitfalls, because we're just throwing people into educational experiences and we're just being like sink or swim. You know what I mean? We're not going to do anything with your psychology. We're not going to do anything with the rest of your life. We're just expecting you to show up intellectually mm -hmm. and hopefully you'll figure it out. Hopefully you'll figure out how to write an essay. Like, but it's, yeah. So I, like, it's frustrating for me because it's just like, I guess in one way it might not seem practical for the workplace, but in another way, it's like, of course it is because yeah. you're, you're even, even if you're looking at things through that lens, just having people that are functional and more and more functional seems to me to be a very valuable thing. So yeah. Yeah. that, that idea of the ancient philosophical schools is really appealing to me. And right. I think it's, it's, always, it's, it's, it's just always one of those things, right. Where it's like, it's very hard in some ways on the face of it to make the case uh, about anything, whether it's music or the arts or philosophy, you know, to very kind of pragmatic utilitarian minded folks as being, yes, this, mm. this is a good, this will give you your good ROI. Right. Um, because it's like, oh, this yeah. all just seems very, you know, uh, wishy-washy and but who needs philosophy? We need, yeah. you know, but, but, but it's also like time and again, repeatedly been the case, right? That these sort of investments up front make you, you know, they're, they're going to give you uh, more civic minded people. They're going to make you wise, give, give you wiser people. And, and all, mm. if you could actually, uh, you know, I think it's possible. I don't know what you'd use to do this, but I'm sure you could convert that actually into like, uh, a, a very utilitarian argument in the sense of, look, we're wasting billions of dollars on, you know, people just not living well in the world in all these different ways that if a proper educational system were in place, uh, you know, like, so. Well, I mean, it's becoming a thing with the mental health crisis, though. People are, are realizing that like, oh, 
there's a severe cost to mental health. And maybe we want to start thinking about this and maybe like putting up, you know, just putting up a poster in the office is probably not going to solve people's mental health problems. So how do we actually, yeah, like I think, I think that the mental health crisis is kind of a good way of getting into it and being like, well, let's start to think about, you know, where, yeah, like the, the fulfillment and the, the mental stability of people plays a part in that greater workplace because i guess it's just been it's not been looked at that way it's just been like no no what productivity am i getting from my workers and it's like well i mean you got to figure out how people function so and that's but but then that's kind of an externality for businesses so it's like well that's a society thing so how do we how do we do that it seems like we live in this modern world that still have all these kind of modernist pathologies to them and then the postmodernists came along and as you were saying about Foucault kind of pointed it all out but didn't necessarily have any you know okay what Mm. do we do now and now it's like shockingly only now maybe in the past what five ten something years it seems to me are like many people starting to to say no like that we need to try to come up with new systems new structures and actually change these things and i think that that very much is that meta modern shift it's away from just you know critique and and point out all the problems to like oh we need to take a more holistic view of all these things if we're going to solve these Mm. really you know naughty problems um i'm, I'm curious just- and that's the thing is that they're, they're super they're super naughty and that was something like reading foucault he's saying like it's because it's so complex you were talking about because it's no longer seeing it as this um i can prescribe the solutions to the problems of society he's like this has to kind of like i'm i'm just pointing out the history of this thing mm. and then the people within those traditions it's going to take much more than me pontificating and telling how the solution to it all like he has an appreciation for how complex the world is and the emergent complexity of society. Mm. And he's like, it would be extremely naive for me to try and prescribe the solution to a societal problem. And it's, I actually, I think the Foucault gets a bad rap in that. And I haven't studied Derrida enough or the others to say this, but definitely the idea that they're just doing critique for critique's sake with Foucault, it's that like, like we're talking about a, a, a hyper complex mm. system why do you think that I can understand the entire thing that I'm like, oh, this is what you've got to do. That's like, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's, yeah. it's very naive to think about that. So yeah. I think the, that's where the metamodern thing, of, it's just the audacity of metamodern. Just be like, oh, we'll, we'll try, we'll fix it. And it's just like, well, the only way we're going to do it is the idea of these experiments. And let's, mm-hmm. let's try and let's just try and mess about and see what emerges. And mm-hmm. I think that that is necessary. And I, th- I think, that is what Foucault wanted anyway, was for people to be making attempts because there's this idea of experimentation in Nietzsche as well, of just like, you know, you want to try different things out and we need these micro experiments. I see I see them, this is the way I would look at it, of like having micro experiments where you can try out different political systems or we can try out different things and then see what the downstream results are. So it's, it's trying to have a playfulness rather than being like, we need to change everything all at once right now. But I just love the just the audacity, the gall of metamodernism to be like, ah, oh, like we can let's let's pretend like we're those 19th century people that thought that they could understand the world and just prescribe a solution. And yeah. then, but also know that we know that we're wrong. Right. Know, exactly. But it's like a playfulness as yeah. well. You yeah, know what I mean? There's something beautiful yeah, about that. Yeah, no, there's that, there's that sense that Foucault had too, that wow, this is a damn complex issue. And you know, we're not just gonna be able to, you know 
have an easy fix for this but yeah. going that next step and being like that said we're sure as hell gonna try because we've got to do something sort of uh you know and that's, that's yeah sort of the sensibility thing i just want i want to ask too so I'm, I'm really interested in your uh the idea of um you know a, a, a school of philosophy and uh and your thoughts about that and how that might work i'm just curious if there's like a have you thought of what you know is there a tentative name for that or or any kind of contours at least of of what it is i i i don't really have so actually a, a few years ago uh, a friend of mine sent me on there was this this funding round in ireland for for new businesses and he was he was like going for it with a tech thing and i was like ah I should apply for something like that. This is this is when I was just like searching around because I, I decided academia wasn't the route. And I was like, I need to have money in order to, you know, study. I want to spend all my time studying. So I need to figure out how I can do that. And yeah, so I, I was just like, okay, school of philosophy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch them a school of philosophy. <laughs> and the idea I had was like, okay, let's let's just take a module on fear. Let's just start with a module on fear. So fear is something we'll all run into so much in our lives it keeps people in bad situations and it keeps them from going towards greater ones and there's i had this idea of just having like biofeedback of just okay if you're let's let's just incrementally so even just below the threshold of consciousness keeping you know keeping track of like what's going on in the body and seeing how your fear reactions are and just pushing the boat out so you get more and more accustomed to fear and you can overcome your fears and just just this idea of like fear is such a basic thing that's part of our lives but other than like susan jeffers feel the fear and do it anyway it's not really something that we get any advice around it's just like be courageous like like snoopy the dog or whatever it's just mm. it's it does not really uh how can we master fear and yeah it's just it's just i just see it as being something as basic as that of let's have a module on fear where we help you 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 talk about what you're afraid of and then we get you to encounter what your fear or yeah. So like, does, does that, does that, I, I've had so many different ideas for what the different modules will be, even from like, like sleep, just like understanding how that you need sleep, figuring out how much sleep you need, figuring out how your sleep cycles work and kind of like getting into a hacking of finding your, your best rhythm with sleep and with, with health, with you're looking after your body. So I see it as getting into like really basic things and just really just optimizing for your, for the best life but then there's also i love all these different typographical systems so whether it's spiral dynamics or myers-briggs or the enneagram or just anything that like classifying who you are and just using that to get a little bit more knowledge of yourself to get a bit more knowledge of your blind sides and then with Jungian work just getting into your unconscious and becoming aware of like yeah just your shadow and and becoming well acquainted with, with that and seeing where that's going to bubble out so yeah i i see it as i again start with something basic like fear of just like okay this is something that's really practical something we all come face to face with and then yeah moving through the really basic things so like the the lower levels we say of maslow's hierarchy of needs and then kind of building that foundation so that when you move into the the higher realms of consciousness or of self-actualization that you we just want to get you there quicker so you have your basis sorted out and yeah. And then, and then we can talk to you about, you know, so it's, it's like layers of esotericism then of just like, well, do we want to take you into, cause there's this, this whole idea that maybe Plato's Academy 
the dialogues were just the exoteric teachings and there might have been this deep esoteric thing going on. And it's like, well, once you have the school and once you're teaching people the basic things, well, wouldn't it be interesting to explore the deeper realms of consciousness? So like what Wilbur was doing, well, I'd see meditation anyways being a part of it, but what Wilbur was doing with messing with the, the brainwaves, it's just like, okay, this is, what if we can get people to try out different spiritual things, to try out like deeper levels. So it's a thing of how much, how deep do you want to go with, with, the, with the school of philosophy and then trying to have that and trying to have it. Yeah, because uh, I have to think of like the business side of it as well of like, where is the funding going to come from? So is it coming sure. from people coming in? But then you also, the people you want to help are people who are young, who mm, are just sure. setting out in the journey. So well, I'm always we, trying to think of the practical elements as you well. You know, this very much just seems like um, it's just dovetailing so much with what I'm hearing around wis- conversations about wisdom. But like, yeah, the, the need for like wisdom schools, basically, mm, um, you know, the, yeah. there's this proliferation of knowledge or at least information. Um, but just a dearth of wisdom, which is what it seems like you're really getting at, which when I think of yeah. lived philosophy, living philosophy, you know, I think what captures that is just is is wisdom and and we lack wisdom traditions and we lack a wisdom pedagogy that can bring all these things into our lives in a meaningful way and these need to become institutionalized in some way right they need to be um you know that gets into the funding issue and all this stuff but it's like um it's very hard to be doing this stuff where it doesn't exist yet and to somehow try to make it part of of the of the fabric of society almost Mm. yeah it's, uh and that whole thing with, i mean because that's what philosophy means it's philosophy it's the love of wisdom and so sure. for me that was it, i had this thing about it had become philosciencia you know it become love of knowledge trying to move towards that direction but really it just comes back to that for me it's just it's the love of wisdom and yeah you have to figure out how do you ground that and if you look back to the ancient philosophers i mean plato and aristotle were plato was an aristocrat and an aristotle was fantastically and fabulously rich because he taught Alexander the Great who just gave him you know like who made him filthy rich and he came back and just could just throw money at the idea of a school so like how do we do that in a in a in a meta modern age and I think yeah I I, yeah it's it's a curious problem and seeing how that's going to fit in and can you look to the church I don't think anyone's going to be tithing the living philosophy you know out of their earnings but figuring out how to and I think you, you only know by trying to just take the next step and take the next step. And that's the thing with emerging complexity, because there's an appetite for it that's out there. So these things are, all the parts are kind of there and we can see we're down the whirlpool because this this recognition of what wisdom is and the importance of wisdom and you throw in the mental health crisis and the meaning crisis. And then all of a sudden it's starting to click that like, oh, we need something else. And this kind of comes back to the idea of the the lack of religion and the fact that we're in this this liminal time between you know having institutions that are pillars of of wisdom so that's yeah i yeah. I, I think we're in that in-between time and what the next period is going to look like is still forming so it's yeah. still there's still yeah. a lot that's out there which is uh interesting yeah no i completely agree and that again that the what you brought back into that the the religious element or the spiritual element, which again, I see in all of these conversations that happening, whether that's with, you know, Verveke or Zach Stein talking about, you know, um, education and, and the need for, for wisdom and all these things, there's a kind of shared understanding that it needs, there, there is a, a spiritual grounding that is also uh, missing, which is also then intrinsically difficult to incorporate in a modern 
kind of paradigm, or at least in a, in a world that is so governed by modern paradigms where there's sort of a, oh, no, you can't talk about spirituality or, or um, you know, these sorts of things in a public context, which has a lot of good reason for doing that. But then it's like, wait a second, if, if we're basing schools uh, on stuff that kind of just from the get-go eschews the ability to integrate that with a deeper spiritual, or at the very least, kind of even deeper psychological uh, grounding, you know, uh, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot for trying to have a, a wisdom society. Um, but, uh, but, 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 but yeah, I, 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 I want to ask you another kind of impossible question, which is sort of an, if, if, that, <laughs> is, if that is the case, right? I mean, how, how, how would you articulate the spirituality that gets taught in that context, right? Like what, what is, um, I mean, it, I, I would assume that the, kind of spiritual grounding and religious grounding that you're talking about, you know, isn't going to be, okay, we all just need to read, you know, the Bible for eight, eight hours a day or something, right? It obviously isn't that. So then it's sort of like- Oh, it is that. It's, it's actually, it's all, it's all just a front for starting a new Christian cult. If I'm, if I'm being honest, you got me. I can't lie. All right. Well, it's now that we've really opened that up, let's dive into that. Cause no, uh, but yeah. So if it's not that, then what is it? How would you, how would you kind of summarize the spiritual inclination that gets explored in this sort of wisdom space yeah and i mean that's that's something that's that's interesting because it's what i see is missing isn't actually i don't see the spiritual element as being what's missing now because i think that the spirituality is actually something that's very much alive and well and it's it's if anything it's doing better it's the religious element mm. that mm. seems to have completely disappeared and it's the okay and this is what you John Verveke and, and Lehman Pascal were kind of like trying to explore was how do we like what what is this new religion going to look like and what like how to bring in the the communitarian aspects or to to make it applicable to you know to society at large rather than just to the small esoteric group of people because there's still room for the esoteric teachings there's a lot of people and a lot of them are cults but there's a lot of people that are genuinely teaching people to reach higher levels of consciousness and it's more the 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 thing that's knitting society together and is is a community element that is bringing a watered down version of that or is, is providing a starting point for a spiritual tradition because that's what religion was you know you start with you've got the bible and depending on where you are in your life you know you're you're going to church on sunday in, in medieval times you're just like oh this is this is grand i don't i don't actually think about it because i'm in a comfortable period of my life but then when you reach a period of like grief or of extreme challenge then you've got this deep wisdom tradition to turn to which can sustain you so religion is like the it's it provides a starting point where you can be at a low state of of depth like to use that like Hansi Freinach framework of, of state and depth and so you can start with that that shallowness but then when you need it there is that that great depth and I guess that's something kind of like what I was talking about with the, the idea of a school of philosophy there where maybe you just need to learn how your sleep patterns and how to you know get get exercise and maybe that's that's all you need for now and this ties in with the Jungian idea of I actually can't remember where Jung says this, but he says if someone came to him that was below like 38, he would just send them to Freud. He was just like, oh no, there, this isn't, this isn't what analytical psychology is about. Because analytical psychology is about the midlife transition. It's about the awakening of the underworld. It's about this kind of like second adolescence of the, the collective unconscious awakes. And instead of an aspect towards life, there's an aspect towards death. So it's facing into the, the eternal, eternal problems. Whereas up to Len, he was kind of like, if you're having problems, it's, 
you're maladjusted to the world. So you need to go to the Freudians and they'll help you to adjust to the world. So that'll be those basic things of like sorting out your mental health and maybe you don't want to go deeper. But there are people and it seems like more and more people that have an, an increasing hunger for more depth. And so having, maybe it's going back to like philosophical schools because if you looked at back to the last liminal period, there was the Epicureans and the Stoics and the, the academics and the peripatetics. So you had all these different schools of philosophy and in Christianity, Nietzsche said Christianity is Platonism for the masses. You know, it, it took, it kind of, it was this tradition that emerged from the Judaistic tradition, but then through St. Paul, it merged into this more, it merged with Greek philosophy and, and became something that, that fitted across the, across the Roman world. So there was a hunger for it in Rome, but then it needed to have, the philosophies weren't enough because they didn't have a, like a, maybe they didn't have enough exoticism of the, of the metaphysical. So maybe these philosophical traditions can be the beginning and tr these conversations, metamodernism and integral, and these are ways of getting it started, but then we'll see something will probably just grip the collective. But see, the thing, this is the problem with living in a world that's as globalized and hyper-connected as ours is that like, it's very hard for a new religion to be born because yeah. there's so much cynicism and, and knowledge that we have that is like, well. Yeah. Well, th this you know, is obviously, you, uh, yeah. you know, the, the thing that is most, kind of compelling to me about all this because on the one hand I feel like that's another thing that the metamodern context allows for now that wasn't really possible before when the cynicism was much more amped up uh, because now in a, in a space of sort of sincere irony you're sort of able to do it playfully in a way that kind of gives more room for something like that uh, and I don't think that that mm. was always the case that's my hope um, but but it, this also does get at, yeah, this thing that I wanted to touch on and in some ways ties back to this question I had about that that little period of, of kind of, you know, liminal atheism and agnosticism before something kind of grabs a collective imagination again. Um, but it's 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 also tied to the, the whole challenge of novelty in religion. Right. Um, how 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 does there come to arise uh, new uh scriptures you know or uh or symbols right this seems like mm -hmm. such a daunting issue um and it's like um you know but 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 there are examples of it from the past i mean that that is what happened with you know the rise of christianity in in europe um is that basically yeah there was this whole colossal cultural shift from paganism to christianity with that liminal period of you know sort of um uncertainty, uh, looking around for new faiths, a kind of almost decadent, you know, longing for something new in the esotericism mm. or the uh, exoticism, uh, you know, looking into the hermetic stuff and the stuff coming out of Egypt and all this uh, Osiris cults, all that stuff, right? It's sort of percolating and then sort of lands with Christianity. And then, okay, now we're, now we're off to the races again. And it seems like, yes, we're kind of at that <laughs> moment, but like, how do we do that step, especially now when culturally speaking, or at least in the cultural paradigm that we're in, we're not really working with as much traditional uh, sensibilities. We're working a lot more with traditional and modern sensibilities and postmodern sensibilities. So it's like, you know, it seems like an impasse and, and, uh, and it's like no one necessarily, like everyone can kind of diagnose the problem, but no one necessarily wants to, or is able to stick their head out and be like, well, well, here's a Bible. <laughs> well, here's a scripture, you know, cause it's like, yeah, you know, who are you and what are you doing? And you but know. this is where I see, I actually see young and 
the the works of like Joseph Campbell and the Jungians has been very interesting because mm. they they point to something and I think Wilbur was actually off with his criticism of Jung because the way he talks about the archetypes like Mm. yeah but i i think that like the jungian analysis of myth and the jungian analysis of the unconscious and the collective unconscious is actually a very promising thing for like seeing it it, it gives us somewhere to turn to mm. form a relationship with this thing and this is something that like with nietzsche nietzsche that i feel like nietzsche got very wrong which is he was talking about let's do a revaluation of all values mm. and he thought I am the one that's going to do the revaluation of mm -hmm. all values. And then you're just like, well, this is just like Marx kind of like prescribing a solution. And this is what Foucault is backing off from. But I think that Jung goes, well, like, yeah, the, the, it's a revaluation of all values is possible, but it doesn't come from the ego. It mm -hmm. comes from the unconscious, it comes from the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. So new values will bubble up and it just happens to come through the pen of an individual, but it's actually, it's a collective thing. Yeah. And so this is something... In, so I was I did a video after doing the video on the four quadrants where I was kind of exploring this idea of the the collective internal and can we form a more mm -hmm. conscious relationship with the the collective internal because we've got a pretty good handle on the individual internal and reaching higher levels of, of spiritual consciousness but it just seems like we're just completely unconscious at a collective level and is is it does it even make sense to talk about consciousness at a collective level? Because well, I, I don't, I don't know what that means, but it's, it's this, th there's this collective unconscious and it seems like there's something that can come through it out of which new values can be born out of which the transformation comes, but it's not something that individuals can just be like, I'm going to do this. And this is what yeah, it's going to look yeah, like because yeah. it's not a blueprinting because it's something that's bubbling up and it's, it's just finding the, you know, there's a few people that are sensitive that are that are lightning rods for it and it can come up through them so i think that that's happening that the, the new values are being born and the muses are, are there speaking into the mm. ears and the question is to what extent that's a metaphysical thing and to what extent that's just an unconscious thing and that's another thing how do we form this relationship with the collective what is the collective internal and that's that's something that's uh, this is where I feel like the the integral and the Jungian has merged for me because that mm. that's the big question of and it's the Nietzschean question how do you revalue all values what mm. what does that look like and that's kind of just what I'm starting to see these these things connect for me and in my next video I'm exploring the idea that feminism hasn't happened yet that like we had women brought into the the masculinist paradigm so the historical feminist movements were actually just womanism that was actually bringing women into a masculinist paradigm whereas actually the the feminine values have never been lower in value so like mm. if there was a revaluation of all values mm. well maybe rather than bringing women into a masculinist paradigm it's actually equating the masculine and the feminine and seeing giving value to 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 within society to to roles of care and to family yeah. and to community again which is again ties back into those religious instincts so it's it's yeah yeah this is this is kind of something that i'm just starting to explore but it's yeah. it's something that it's everything that i've been studying up to now is kind of clicking with this and i'm just like this is, seems so important because yeah. this is the revaluation of all values this is the future religion waiting to be born yeah. so I, where how do you do that and what's it going to look like is i love more that's, that's so it gets my mind all percolating i mean one one thought <laughs> real quick is just i do think that the 
the kind of quadrant map does a good job at just sort of representing or visualizing the idea that whatever is going to be happening in the collective eternal is going to be linked up with other things that are happening in the individual, yes. and, right? So like as things are changing, it's sort of like they're changing in concert with the institutions that are coming online and the things that are happening in people individually and the you know stuff that's happening at, at all these sort of external and in, in, in internal levels, both individual and collective as society itself is shifting. And that, yeah, that's why a Foucault says, hey, here's a system I can point out, but I can't do anything about necessarily because it's yes. like, here's this yeah. whole collective thing that's happening. Um, but then I, I, I'm really- That was something with my, with my approach to it, I very much, moved away from Wilbur's thing of like, it's all Holands that it's, it's four sides of the same Holand. I, I kind of took it as, let's just play with it as if these are different boxes that are not, that necessarily it's not four sides of, four faces of the same individual. So that was mm. something mm. that almost I've, I've just gone off and played with and, and have yeah. forgotten my, what, for, for Wilbur, of course, it's, it's always interconnected. Yeah. And I guess for me, I was just like, well, let's, let's focus in on more if, if we just extra and like took this to the side. So yeah, yeah you're very well, right. Well, but, but I wanted to dig into this because I'm really intrigued. You, you, you say that um, one of your critiques of, of Wilbur is his idea of, um, or how, how, he's, how he views the archetypes, Jung's archetypes. And so I'm really intrigued by that because I, I found his reading of the archetypes to be really helpful for me, um, but I'd love to have this kind of problematized because uh, I always mm. found it really um, itself problematic that when you dig down into the unconscious, kind of what you're finding there are the, the the waters of chaos and the the you know the um, the inchoate the these drives these forces and there's there's this sort of um, kind of untamed and very kind of uh, primordial element you know one of the things that Wilbur really draws out right is sort of like no let's really take evolution seriously and me and that means that kind of stuff that happens earlier on is going to be simpler and less complex and therefore less conscious mm. and less whole. And if you really take that seriously, then the archetypes are going to be simpler and cruder, uh, uh, you know, than, uh, than what we're kind of aiming towards. And so that, that was mm. my understanding of his critique was that Jung is wrong to say that basically, you know, we come from out of that and we're kind of going to go back to it. And that's sort of the ultimate source of things because, if that were the case, then we're just drawing on sort of our most basic of elements rather than our highest of qualities. Mm. And so, and when I can, when I mapped that to kind of my own personal experience, my own understanding of mythology, my own, you know, engagement with these sorts of topics around, uh, you know, yeah, the unconscious and stuff that seemed to make a lot of sense, but is that what you uh, take issue with or what would be? Um, yeah. So I think, I think for, yeah, so I haven't fully developed this, so bear with me a second. So it's so yeah, there's two two ways of looking at the Jungian archetypes, and is that like Jung in one sense talks about it as it's the the inside of our instincts. So it's and so and this is what Wilbur's criticizing is that like it's an evolutionary thing, it's an evolutionary storehouse of all the lessons that we've learned ancestrally. And so Wilbur's point is that like well we can't look back for where we're going to go forward. So, so that's like, if, if you take Jung as just being an evolutionary thinker, but then there's, there is this whole, and I think Jung tries to hold this back a lot, his metaphysical side. Mm. And it's more that the archetypes are projecting forward and mm. that they are, it's, it's not actually just, the collective unconscious isn't just this 
physical history thing. It's actually, it's how deep does the unconscious go? Is the unconscious just, is this just like a personal experience and a historical experience, or is this a connection to something metaphysical? And the idea of synchronicity as an a-causal principle is that it's, it's not actually, we're living in a world that's much more mysterious than the materialist modernist paradigm would mm-hmm. have it. So I think Jung kind of was doing the exoteric esoteric thing. And he was kind of playing the exoteric game of like, you know, this is releasing things but then on the other hand, having this highly esoteric kind of teachings and having this having this more metaphysical thing, which came out in the later years. And I, th- I think if you take the archetypes as being something metaphysical, then then it seems because there's that interesting interview with Young that the BBC did. And your man asks him, you know, do you believe in God? And he goes, mm, I don't believe I know. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, where is that? Like, that's that's a really interesting thing. And that was after his near-death ex- experience where he had, yeah, he had a very, very interesting near-death experience. And yeah, like actually where his psyche went in that. And so I, I think that Jung is more of a metaphysical thinker. And I'm talking to someone else at the moment about animism and about the idea of other consciousnesses being about us. And like the the, the trouble with having just this human-centric conscious which is also a thing in integral you know we haven't really moved away from the idea of this linear development that culminates in you know modern american man you know it's it's this well what about the indigenous traditions do we just write them off as being you know stage purple and yeah so that's that's troubling to me like it it seems like there's more that we could do there and it seems like there's other things that we can learn from and it's it's one thing that i find troubling with like the integral or with the the general philosophical trend is is that like this is this is the culmination of everything and it's like well what if people like clearly the spiritual thing and different elements of the spiritual thing have been developed very deeply in other parts of the world and so maybe they didn't develop this cognitive or this, yeah, this IQ was, it, I was trying to think who you talked about this. It might've been Zach Stein, that it was, it's not just about this IQ development and this very specific skill set that's led to where we are, t- technological world, but that there's, could be other cultures that have developed much further in different elements. And we, we already have that with like the Eastern meditation traditions that were like, we acknowledge that they've gone much further than we have. So what if there's more going on than just a human centric world? Then what, what if there's the possibility of other consciousnesses? Mm. And yeah, this, this, this woman with the animism thing is, it's really fascinating to me, but I don't know. Again, I'm very much a creature of, of the modern age where I'm just like, I don't, I don't really believe in, I'm just kind of like, I, I have this openness to ideas and I'm like, mm. let's play around. And what does that mean? And I, I'm happy to go to the, to the threshold of metaphysical, but I'm just like, I don't know yeah. what's beyond. And, you know, when people take ayahuasca and they talk about the, the, the medicine having a, a real, there's a presence there and she's a teacher and ayahuasca is a, is a feminine teacher. And it's just like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, what, what, yeah. what, like, what, what does that mean? What is going on there? And is there something more that needs to be brought into this, to this vision, to this paradigm of, of what's going on in the metamodern experience? And yeah, this is no, again I, more I, stuff, yeah, more stuff to explore, but it's all tentative. I agree. I, I I think then it's all about how do we find the best way of trying to think about what that more might be? Because I would, I'm willing, very willing to accept that our our kind of modern framed, you know, localized individual consciousness, et cetera, is like, you mm. know, in, 
incomplete paradigm and obsolete even, um, and that we need to be moving beyond that. But the alternatives then need to be very carefully weighed because we could wind up, you know, mm. kind of losing a lot if we if we uh, if we go a certain direction and it winds up not being the best one to go in. And so this is why this. Sort this of is something where I feel like Jung is actually uh, a good thinker for this because if mm. you if you take the the archetypes in that way as being like okay, there's more. It's it's an unconscious that's deeper than the unconscious potentially. That's potentially deeper than the individual unconscious then that gives you a way of being like, well, okay, we can explore internally. Maybe we can, we can come to something there. So yeah, that just to finish yeah, that point yeah. with the, where the archetypes would fit into that vision. Sure. Well, and also I wanted to mention too, um, I haven't read it yet, but I, I mean to, but Bernardo Castro, uh, who does this whole analytic keep, idealism. Keep talking thing. about Castro. <laughs> I yeah, know, right? Yeah. It keeps coming up. Uh, keeps but, coming up. I need to read him. Okay. Uh, but he has a book on Jung, basically Jung as a idealistic like an idealist metaphysical thinker and kind of maps all mm. that out and kind of brings forward that esoteric element of Jung that you're referring to that he maybe Jung kind of hid more under these exoteric kind of articulations of his ideas. But mm. um, anyway, so that's on my, my big list at the moment. Yeah. I think um, I'm going to, I'm going to read that. Like yeah, that's, that's, it's just it, like his name keeps coming up and yeah. it's not just with Jung. It's like a Schopenhauer and stuff. Mm. I'm just, I just need to read Castro evidently. <laughs> so I think that, that sounds fascinating. But I was just going to say, um, I think what if these sorts of things, just to throw this out, like if you could conceive of this rather than, well, let me point, one thing I think that all this does is it's really crucial is that in the topic of this articulation of a new religion, right, is it helps avoid the whole ego problem and all of it, that pitfalls nonsense, right? If you're not just a person being like, here's my revelation or here's my, my you know, Nietzschean transvaluation of all values or whatever, it's more of a, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just a conduit for something bigger, which has always been what the religious traditions yes. have said, then this affords a a feasible way of thinking about this and sort of giving cover for these new ideas and images and symbols and myths to bubble up uh in this in our metamodern context but um but then the question is yeah are we looking towards our sort of deep unconscious or some collective unconscious that is primordial and therefore less developed and then i want to go more in this wilberian direction of top down what if we're what if you know layman pascal talks about spirituality as being sort of the uh serp or the the cohesive you know harmonization of all your subsystems basically and like the effective ability to to do all that and and mm. thinking about god therefore is sort of that surplus numinous thing that comes about when people are kind of you know there's there's surplus coherence there's something bigger uh emerging out of its various subsystems and I almost want to think like, what if there's sort of an emergent thing that that we're participating in that we might be able to be in some kind of contact with because we're a part of it. And maybe if you start framing it more in that way, then you avoid the trap of, oh, we're just using regressive old primordial, you know, archetypes. But then you're actually being like, no, I'm I'm actually getting some kind of I'm tapping into like where humanity is going, where we're evolving towards. And at least conceptually, that's more attractive to me, whether any of that hangs together physically, metaphysically, whatever, is a kind of a different question. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's definitely not to think of the the Jungian thing or, or the archetypal thing as being just a regressive or we're just looking at birthing another Christianity, but more as the way authors talk about the muses, the way authors talk about like it just this book just poured out of me. 
like I sat down and then it was done and it was this fully formed thing. And that, that might be a very, you know, it, that's not going to be like an ancient religious text. That's going to be like, so Stephen Pressfield is one author that talks about this a lot. And it's just like, it's just, it's just some days the muse, the muses show up or Elizabeth Gilbert talks about it as well of, of this other thing of this, this, this other thing that's kind of like pouring through you and, and mm. seeing the, again, wanting to break down the idea of the individual and being like well we're not just the ego there's a lot of like different moving parts within the psyche and it's something pouring through and so it's not just this regressive ancient like nordic mythology that's going to be coming out or a new greek mythology or a new christianity it's not just going to be looking something like that but it will look like something that is tailored to the society that we're living in because right. it's it's still being born through uh, modern or meta-modern kind of mind it's still coming through this the conduit and the, the thing that's required see the, that's the way that i see the collective unconscious as as it's responding it's alive now and it's responding to what's going on in the world now and how do you psychically balance that mm. so yeah maybe, maybe maybe that can't be done and i find that layman pascal idea very interesting because it's completely it's completely different and I'd really like to explore that. So he sees it as more like the experience of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing. It's like this emergent thing that's coming out on top. Yeah, yeah, that's how I interpret what he's saying. And I think that that fits very well with sort of a Wilberian holonic thing, right? That like mm -hmm. subparts become, you know, holes are, are greater than the sum of their parts so they keep it transcending and including. So then it's sort of like, you know, what would be the next hole, right? Um, and I guess there are different ways of conceiving that too. It's sort of like, uh, yeah, and, and Wilbur talks a lot about the pathologies of potential holarchies and all this sort of thing, right? Um, but but if you do think about it as that, um, then again, there's just uh, it it resonates for me because it's then it's it's sort of reframed evolutionarily and reframed sort of aspirationally um, and kind of provides mm. uh, a certain. It's sort of like you know what have we been doing in a part of in our meta modern context where, where things are going on and they're all working together and they're 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 moving and and no individual has a full grasp on that but there is a kind of hole in which we're participating and sometimes you know when those things cohere in sort of the most integrated you know sort of way you can create emergent properties that are greater than some of their parts and if you're if you're aiming towards that then, then you're sort of aiming yeah, towards your higher self. And that would be, I think, a very apt way of talking about spirituality and a very, I mean, talking about wisdom schools, I feel like that would be a skill set that would be really deeply valuable to, uh, to have some, some yeah. teaching. In. Yeah, so. I mean, definitely putting those other, other pieces in place, but it's the, there's, there's the potential for a teleological bit that I'm worried about there. Sure, sure. Say more like, about that. It's, well, it's, it's just like... And this is something that I I'm not fond of in Wilbur, the this 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 moving towards this like inevitability of the direction that we're moving. And I don't know, it's it's it makes me it makes me quite uncomfortable because it's not, it's it doesn't fit with evolution. You know, evolution is something that's that's playful and is this is something that Thomas Kuhn talks about in the structure of scientific revolutions, of he doesn't believe, and he got a lot of shtick for this, of like he doesn't believe in truth with a capital t it's because he says that that's a teleological thing that science would be moving towards and there's no like one truth you can't like codify all of truth and he sees it more through like an evolutionary lens so it's that 
there's different possibilities for the way it can go and you're going to capture different parts of what's out there and new truths are going to emerge and it's not to say that it's relativistic like there are truths that are better at explaining the world and are more functional in the world but it's not heading towards this one direction of this one codification right. of the truth and so it's if you think of like evolution of life it's there there isn't one life form that all of existence is heading towards it's actually it's a playful interaction between circumstance and you know intention and so it's, it's what happens along the way and unexpected things happen and then that leads to something new bubbling up and it's something that i see with the collective unconscious view is is that it's, it can be something that's more creative and it's based on the situation that you're in and it's this this playful evolutionary thing of like it's not heading in one direction because sure. again if if you go with the zach stein idea i think it was zach stein again that the that it's all heading that like we've just developed in one direction that it's it's like this is a choice of the faculties of humanity that we've chosen to develop but it's not the only one sure. and there are other cultures that have developed different things so are we yeah. just moving a tele a teleology of like well we've come this way along this way so obviously everything is right, meant right. to head that direction whereas no, no. like maybe they'd see it differently you know right so, no I, uh, I i completely agree i think i think teleology is such an important issue and there's a lot that gets uh assumed and brought into teleological frameworks and i don't think all of them are necessary some of them might be good some of them might be bad but uh I would say just just on this thought real real brief the way I tend to think about this is more like um if you if you look at evolution and you consider things that have have evolved independently like wings right um mm. there was a certain element in the environmental environmental constraints that allowed wings to work uh, I was just listening to this fascinating thing about dinosaurs and how dinosaur wings evolved like it took millions and millions of years and there was no use, I mean, all these various other former versions of the wings had their own individual functions, right? And, but at a certain yeah, point, yeah. kind of something with the environment and how that thing had evolved to that point clicked. And then now the thing can fly. And you see that in like, <laughs> you know, dinosaurs, but you see it in other winged creatures um, and, uh, or, or eyes, you know, I think of eyes the way that, um, but I mean, and take any structure, right? That, that kind of works and has developed independently it's not to say that like oh therefore wings are what evolution is aiming at it just means that there's something mm. about this that works really well given the constraints of the environment that is 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 the background context for all this and i think you can look at consciousness that way that sort of once consciousness started kind of getting into the mix more and more it was like oh wow this yes this thing kind of works really well in this uh arena and, uh, and so then you can start to, I think, do the kind of additional question of like, well, what does that mean? So even if the dynamics of evolution themselves are playful and unteleological, but just sort of always, you know, uh, exploiting the niche that they're in, what does it mean that wings work, right? You know, like, what, what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean that certain structures, you know, continually work or have some value for an organism? And then if you start thinking about things like consciousness through that lens, I think you can appreciate that there are uh, kind of bigger meta level rules at work almost. Um, and then you can ask questions like, what do those mean? Are those also random, right? Then you can bring in, is there a multiverse? And so this is just how this universe is set up. So evolution works this way here, right? But at least then you're starting to be able to play more intelligently, I think with the idea of teleology. And anyway, so that's just a little- Yeah, so this, this is something um, 
a guy Tyler Tyler the Chardon. I think I'm not sure actually how to pronounce it, but he talks yeah. about the traditionally when you look at the, the, the how things move a lot have moved along. There's like the it's like the big things and then there's the small things like the quantum level and the macro level but he talks about like complexity as this progression and that's something that i find really interesting because it's this other thing that's increasing but it's not necessarily specific to like because you're saying consciousness but i would say well this is specific type of consciousness and maybe there's different Mm -hmm. like elements of so i think of like carlos castaneda and again it's someone that i've I've no idea how to really, I don't know where to put that in my mind, but he talks about consciousness being located like somewhere here, that this is the, where our consciousness is. It's like almost like a tennis ball of like thing at the edge of our aura or something. If you move that to a different place, then you're in a different state of being. So like, it's a fascinating idea again to explore and to play around with, but it's, it's, if you, if you, that yes, maybe this, particular formation of consciousness is heading that direction and there could be this is the way it's going to like play out mm. but then there's all these other possibilities so it could be mm, yeah like there are going to be better and worse options so mm-hmm. is that teleology or is that just the rules of the game so if you're moving in a certain direction you know some certain things are going to work and that's going to have been determined beforehand just by the way the laws of physics work so right. yeah so it's, it's possible it's it's rather than being like a a linear teleology of like everything is heading in this one direction it's more like well we've got we've got different choices of like it's just this particular thing and this particular way the consciousness is at the moment in mm-hmm. this culture is developing in this direction and maybe yeah. that's what but then that becomes such a limited way that it's not again it doesn't provide the the great meaning of like this is this is what god is you know what sure, i mean like sure the, sure no i mean I, idea if you I, limit it that much i like the image of lightning if you think about how lightning or any of these branching fractal structures work right but like especially if you think about how the flow of electricity or, or something there's a you know the discharge that's that's seeking that's seeking to happen there is um it's going to find that path of least resistance <laughs> it's going to it's going to find these different uh it's going to try different things on its way um, not all of them are going to be the actual point of contact that is going to be the right. So it's like that's how the, the in my head that Whiteheadian creativity sort of works. It's just it's lightning moving throughout the universe, trying every option. Some of them work, and it goes over here. And then it's like you know, creating these newer, yeah. higher, more complex structures. And then you can look at the whole evolutionary history and see that complexification is also one of these things that is sort of um, you know increasing and then you can sort of ask well is that teleological what does the increase of complexity mean but we've 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 gotten really uh which is something have you heard of stephen kaufman stephen kaufman is oh, Stuart, really yeah, interesting yeah yep. or is it Stuart kaufman, Stuart kaufman um, yeah. that this the yeah just like he, his models of how life actually evolved i'm just like oh that's that's fascinating that like this emergent complexity is actually just uh, just hard written it, you know that's it that wasn't a complete accident that was just this is there's a whole side of science that we haven't really started to explore fully and that's just emergent complexity and how mm-hmm. what what new and wonderful things can emerge out of that and Indeed. it's just life happened to click at that one point and then we've kept it going but it would have happened and maybe something else could have happened and the, the branch would have gone differently which is mm-hmm. which is an interesting thought yeah, uh, this has been fascinating. I, I, I enjoy this. I, again, you, you've got a great mind and I, I really, um, I'm just glad that uh, you're in this space and engaging with these ideas. And uh, uh, is there anything, one that we haven't sort of touched on in any of this that you feel like would be uh, 
pertinent that you wouldn't want to no i don't know it's again that was a very non-teleological conversation <laughs> well, let's just play around let's yeah. just see where it goes i like the ideas let's see what crops up so it's uh i've really enjoyed it and Good. uh yeah there's probably a million and one other things we could chat about but you know well it's yeah enjoyable. maybe we can do this again and i mean there's a million topics i'd love to dig more into whether that's jungian archetypes yeah. contrasting wilbur and young talk about teleology there's there's a bunch of juicy things to explore um but i really appreciate <laughs> you uh giving your take on metamodernism and metamodern spirituality and all this and um yeah i, I again highly recommend your uh, your channel the living philosophy i am just kind of curious maybe this would be a good note to end on where do you see kind of your work going where do you where do you want it to go obviously you've mentioned like a a, a school of philosophy of some kind but like you know um are you sort of, and also speaking of teleology, are you sort of aiming at anything at the moment that you'd like to see uh, be realized in the next couple of years or, yeah? It won't surprise you that I that I don't. I'm just waiting to see what emerges. That uh, really, I just wanted to get to this point where I, I've, I've just been searching for something that could provide a vehicle where I can study and go deep into these ideas and just explore because I don't know like the encounter with Nietzsche, the encounter with Jung, the encounter with Wilbur, they've all just transformed me radically. So mm. it's very hard to predict where things are going to go. But I think just continuing to explore thinkers and also it's it's the kind of trying to uh, reduce polarity in society or tr trying to be more and more open. So I think curiosity is, is one of my highest values of like, let's try and bring more and more in. So mm. A couple of my viewers recommended this guy Thomas Sowell who's this like conservative philosopher and he had this thing of like the conflict of visions and I was like oh it's really interesting to see the the world from because like we're talking about like integral and continental philosophy well what about like right-wing philosophers or you know like mm -hmm. let's try and bring in all these different perspectives that yeah. things that don't necessarily mix together so it's kind of just this alchemy of ideas where I'm just like let's try and let's see what happens when you mix these thinkers that people normally just keep in their different echo chambers. And what happens if you bring those echo chambers together? Does it turn into a harmony or does it turn into complete discord? Hmm. So yeah, I, I just want to keep exploring and, and see, see what emerges. So yeah, there's no real plan other than to just, you know, keep making videos, keep, I'm still very much figuring out my own process and my own yeah, I still I'm I'm very much in a brewing process. And I just feel like, as I said, the people are along with this journey. Yeah. And that was something else that Zach said that like I was like, this is good, where he's just like a lot in, in certain fields, you know, your 20s and 30s are the time when you know the big ideas come. In other fields, it's in your 50s or 60s when it's kind of cooked and you've mm. there's so many layers to it. And I'm like, well, that's good. That's the way I'm <laughs> that's definitely the way I'm kind of like heading, I think. Uh, and ties in with Plato's idea that you shouldn't do philosophy before you're 50 anyway. So we're all mm. getting a head start. Yeah. So yeah, it's just just a, a journey, really, I think. I like that. Yeah, it's probably a good idea for for your hair to be totally gray before you have a, a philosophy <laughs> school. That's you know that would be for, suitable for like for brand. Raphael's painting will fit a lot better then. Yeah, you know? there you go. <laughs> cool. Well, James Cusson, much appreciated. It's been a, a joy and an honor. And uh, keep up the good work, my friend. And uh, let's talk again before long. Thanks a million, Brendan.